0: pastor uh, ministered along the lines of the Lord's table today and I want to go ahead and do the same to you. Um, Interesting thing. Uh, Jesus, when he was crucified and was raised from the dead, the scripture says over in Luke that there was these two fellows that were followers of Jesus that were walking to uh, a little town called Emmaus. And Jesus hooked up with them as they were traveling, but they did not recognize him. And and so as as they were going along, uh, Jesus said, "So, what's going on, guys? Y'all looking sad. And and they said, well, haven't you heard what's been going on around the last few days? And Jesus said, what's been going on? (laughs) He just opened them right on in. And, and and so they go to talk about the things that happened. How that you know we were so certain that Jesus was the Messiah, and he's he's crucified, and and now here we are and don't know what to do. Said some of the people thought they saw him, but we're not sure about them. <laughs> and, and and Jesus started talking to them. Said, "Oh oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the Scripture." has to say, and then it started with, uh, the books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and, and the Psalms and the prophets, and expounded to them all the scriptures about himself, even though they didn't realize it was him yet. And then, he was going to go ahead and keep on walking when they got to their destination. But he said, wait a minute, Jesus, why don't you come? Uh, well, actually, no, I can't say that because they didn't know it was Jesus yet. So he said, no, don't keep walking. It's getting late. Come on in and, and uh, stay with us for a while. So, so he came on in and it, it said that he took bread and broke it. And then it said their eyes were opened. And as soon as their eyes were open, boom, he vanished out of their sight. Now, later on, as this story was being retold, I love this little line. This is Luke twenty-four thirty-five, And this is out of the New American Standard Bible. It says, and they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And I want you to know that today is we're going to break some bread in this place today. Are you ready to know Jesus in the breaking of bread? Are you ready to discover something about him and about who he is and about his love and passion and compassion for you through the breaking of bread? You and I here today can recognize him through the breaking of bread. Are you excited about that? So what I want to talk to you about today, I want to talk to you about. The big words of the Lord's table, the big words of the Lord's table. And you might say, well, that, that's a strange title. But, but what I mean by that is words that when you talk about the, the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you talk about the, the commemorative meal that Jesus instituted for his followers, for us to uh, c- continually remember what he has done. There's some words, there's some language that keeps showing up over and over and over again. And, and some of this language, uh, uh, you know, we, we may not have time to get it all today, but, but there's some things, some highlights that I want to hit with you, uh, as we talk about the big words of the Lord's table, the big words that have to do with, with, the, with the Lord's table in this celebration that we're going to have today. One of those big words is the word communion. As a matter of fact, uh, th- that seems obvious because we would very commonly refer to this as communion Sunday. But 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 wh- where, where's that word come from? Where's that word actually utilized? Well, first of all, uh, understand that this is a a, uh, a Greek word. It's actually a, a, a very common Greek word. That, that you may have heard about if you've been in church for a while. It's the Greek word koinonia. And what, what, what he also has the connotation of the share which one has in anything. The share which one has in anything. And then beyond that, this even carries the connotation of intimacy. And yes, the, the Greek dictionary even used the word intercourse. Now, of course, when, when you hear that word, we know what you think about. I don't think about it. You think about it. I'm just playing with you. But, 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 but the, the real truth of the matter is that, that there's something that's very close. There's something that's very tight here. That, that there's something that, that is going on on a level that is beyond casual. Are you with me on that? That there's an intimacy uh, with, with God that can take place in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. There, there, there's something deep. There, there's something deep because this is not a casual relationship. If this was casual, you think he would have gone through everything he went through to buy us back and redeem us if this thing was casual? No, this is not a casual relationship. At least one of this party is committed. We know he is. The question is, are we committed to it? Ah, Come on. But but we see that this is not a casual relationship and this is not a fling. Flings are temporary. This is eternal, somebody. This is an eternal covenant. This is called the new and the everlasting covenant. Hallelujah. 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 And and so we see God's commitment here in this word, communion, The, the Greek word koinonia. Uh, and the variety of the the shades of meaning here fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation, the share which one has in anything, so this is talking about the share that we have in this wonderful covenant, hallelujah, and also the idea even of intercourse and intimacy the the, 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 the fact that this thing that we celebrate called the lord's table called holy communion is an opportunity for us to experience something that is so sweet and so deep with the lord this is not casual this is not a fling this is serious and this is eternal are you with me on that look at these following scriptures first corinthians 10 the scripture says the cup of blessing which we bless Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Go to the next verse. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. This here is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. And I'll tell you, that there's something so amazing here as we examine this. The cup of blessing which we bless, isn't it the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And then goes on to say that we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. There you see that idea of fellowship, you see that idea of association, you see that idea of community, you see joint participation. Because here, when it comes to joint participation, you see that it's an experience that's shared together by all the partakers. You and I, and all those who are members of the body of Christ are the partakers in this. Are you with me? So this is an experience that is shared together by all of the partakers. And there's partakers of this good stuff, this blessing, this everlasting covenant worldwide. The church, I want to tell you, is universal. The Bible talks about the the family that's on earth and the family that's in heaven. There's people that are part of this big family that have already gone on to their reward. And there's people that are here still walking the walk like we are, still fighting the fight like we are right here on planet Earth. Are you glad about it? Are you glad you're one of them? So this is an experience shared together by all the partakers. We're partaking of that one bread. And they, I don't know if you caught that, but that's what the scripture shows us here in 1 Corinthians 10. So we're all one bread and we're all one body and we're all partakers of that one bread. So we see the, the, the joint participation. We, we see the experience that's being shared together by all of us as partakers. We also see that same idea over in Acts chapter 2. Go ahead and put up Acts 2, 41 through 42. It says this. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Next verse. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That's that word koinonia, the same word used for communion. And in breaking of bread and in prayers. So, so we see here that these disciples, a lot of them new disciples, on the day of Pentecost there in Acts chapter two, it says that three thousand souls were added to the church. We just read that, that the day on that very same day, about three thousand souls were added. And it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, but also in fellowship or in communion and in breaking of bread. Interesting. So if they're going to continue steadfastly in something, I believe that we ought to continue steadfastly in the same thing. How about you? And I I, I see the, the, the great value of this, that you see the church together partaking of the uh, uh the, the, the koinonia, the fellowship, the communion, the breaking of bread and doing it steadfastly. It, it's interesting. This is the absolute cornerstone of our faith, the absolute cornerstone of our redemption. There is no redemption apart from this. Apart from this, you and I are lost, as lost as a goose in a blizzard, let me tell you. Uh, there, there's just no shot. So, So because of this, because of this absolute cornerstone, the only way we have hope in Christ is because this happened. And not just because there was the death of the one who came to put the testament into effect. But also there was the resurrection of that same one to make sure you got everything that was coming to you. Can I hear an amen, somebody? The very one who died to pass on the inheritance because the testament, the inheritance, does not go into effect until somebody dies. Well, he did die. But (laughs) he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. Hallelujah. And one of the reasons that he did Is to make sure you got what was coming to you. To pray for you forever. To think that the ministry of Jesus today is that he lives forever. The Bible says this in Hebrews. He lives forever to do what? For what purpose? For what cause? To make intercession for us. Somebody needs to be glad about the fact That if nobody else prayed for you today, if nobody else thought about you today, if nobody else's thoughts went your direction today, you can be sure of one thing that is an absolute forever eternal fact that on the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous high priest, has prayed for you this very day. Hallelujah. Woo-wee. So we see joint participation in these verses that we've looked at. We see the body of Christ enjoying together and participating together in this experience called communion, koinonia. But we also see uh, that that this is an experience that is shared together by both the giver and the receiver. Are you interested in that? Let's take a look at John chapter 6. We're going to see that, that, that in this process, there's the action on the, the part of the one who's instituting this and is making this happen and making this available. And there's something to participate in and to be active in on the, on the receiving end as well. These are the words of Jesus. John 6, 53. He said, then Jesus said, in his blood, you have no life in you. Verse 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. I want to draw some connections for you here as we're talking about joint participation between the giver and the receiver here. Verse 53, we see that we eat and drink. What does Jesus do? He imparts life. We look in verse 54, we eat and drink. What does Jesus do? He raises us up. Verse 56, we see that we eat and drink and by so doing, we abide in him. What does he do? He abides in us too. Verse 57, we eat and drink and the living father has sent Jesus and we live because of him. So you see in, in about every one of those verses that we read, there's the, the part of the, 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 the recipient, but there's the part of the giver. And there's no part for the recipient without the part of the giver. He's the one who initiated this. He's the one who got this started. We'd be lost if he did not initiate this. We would be hopeless if he did not initiate this. Someone needs to be glad about it today. The Bible says we love him because he first. Ah, yes. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, here's the, here's the thing. We, we didn't have enough sense to know we needed this relationship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you thought you were fine going along as you were. But you had those moments. Yeah, you, you had those moments where reality hit and you thought, no, I'm not as fine as I think I am, but, but, but then you tried to kind of set that aside and cover it up and keep on going and say, well, if I just go, keep on acting like it's alright, then maybe it'll be alright. But then you go ahead and keep on acting like it's alright and figure out it still ain't alright. I'm still lost. There's still something that is seriously missing in my life. Aren't you glad that God initiated the relationship? Pursued you and me when we weren't worth pursuing. Saw the best in me when everyone else around could only see the worst in me. Make me want to sing that song now. Hallelujah. All right. Glory to God. So thank God for the fact that because of the initiation of the giver, there could be participation on the side of the receiver. Why don't you go ahead and Genesis? Genesis 14. We're going to look a little bit more at something here. So Abraham is getting back from uh, what was called the slaughter of the kings. There, there was a war there and uh, uh, Abraham was on the winning side of the war. And verse 18, you see this name show up in the Bible. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. Does that sound familiar somebody? And he was the priest of the most high God. Verse 19. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham of God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So we see this Melchizedek, king of Salem, which we understand to be king of peace. As a matter of fact, uh, to to pull out a little Hebrew on you, uh, king of Shalem. Does that sound familiar? Well, maybe you heard of a city called Yerushalem. Oh, that's a little hint for you. All right. But, But this Melchizedek showed up and of all things that he's coming to Abraham with, of all the tokens that he could have with him, what's he got? He's got bread and wine. And what does he do? He blesses Abraham. Well, think about this. Let's take a look at Hebrews 6. Whether the forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus has come to us. A high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You know, the the churches debated whether Melchizedek and Jesus were the same person or different people. I'm not getting into that. Because it doesn't matter to make this point. The bottom line is this, that Jesus, a high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, came to us with bread and wine. The bread was his body and the wine was his blood. Are you with me? And he also came and blessed us as well. So here he is bringing these things to us. What's there to do but for us to receive? For us to receive the blessing that can only come to our life through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. What else is there for us to do but to receive the blessing that he comes to bless us with? And besides that, interesting thing, if Jesus really is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek and Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, why don't people give Jesus the tithes today? I don't know who said that. It must have been that other preacher. All right. Did I say that? Yes, I did. Hallelujah. So you see, our high priest is coming to us. There's joint participation. He's getting something initiated here. He's getting something started. Thank God he got something started. He came to us with bread and wine, his body and his blood. He came to us to bless us. What else is there for us to do but to receive the blessing that he came to give us? Are you glad about this communion, this fellowship, this joint participation? Let's talk about another one of the big words surrounding the Lord's table. And that's actually uh, two words here. Give thanks. Give thanks. Someone say give thanks. You know, when we look at the the scripture, and uh, we're going to look at a few here in a minute, where, where you see give thanks or gave thanks, it is a Greek word called Eucharistia. From which we get our term, and I think we've got a lot of people here that have heard the term before, Eucharist. Well, this is the, the root of that and where that term, where that word comes from. So let's check it out. Matthew 26, and we'll look at verse 26 through 28 says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broken, gave it to the, to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them. He, I said, he took the cup and gave thanks. He gave thanks. That's that word, Eucharistia. And gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Also, First Corinthians 11. Verse 23 and 24. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks. Eucharistia. When he had given thanks. He broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now. Something that is so fascinating about this word is what you see inside the word. And if you were to spell it out, even, never mind the Greek word, you just spell out the the English word, E-U-C-H-A-R-I-S-T, Eucharist. You see another very common Greek New Testament word in there. Charis. Charis, however you want to say it, C-H-A-R-I-S, it is the word that is used in the New Testament for grace. It is the word in, in, in the New Testament uh, from which we get charisma, charismata. From, from that uh, root word of uh, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And right in the middle of this word, you see that word, the word for grace. Why is that significant? I want to tell you why it is. Because when we give thanks when we are partaking in the Lord's table and as the Lord himself gave thanks and we gave give thanks when we're partaking of the Lord's table do you realize that you're being thankful when you're doing this Eucharist thing inside the Eucharist is the caris that you're being thankful for inside the word itself is the grace that you're being thankful for it's the grace it's the favor that God has blessed you with that you didn't Deserve deserved and I didn't deserve but we got it anyhow and we're thankful for it and grateful for it so when we give thanks as Jesus give thanks even right smack dab in the word Eucharist which means giving thanks is the word charis for grace and favor hallelujah glory be to God and I want you to know that, that that such a big part of this, the Lord's table that is, is the understanding that we have such a uh a, a habit as human beings to going along for a while and letting something slip. See so you may have a good memory. But sometimes in the middle of your day, you may need to take yourself a little remembrance break. (laughs) Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself there, but it's all right. So some of you may need to take a little remembrance break because you get so much with stuff hitting you. Another thing hit you. Another thing hit you. Another situation hit you. Another voicemail hit you. Another crazy email hit you. The boss hit you. Somebody else hit you. And I'm talking about getting hit with stuff. I'm not talking about getting punched. That's another message. (laughs) What to do when someone punches (laughs) you? But when you're getting hit with the stuff of life, you just need to take a little time out and remember. You see, one of the greatest things about why God instituted this is that he knew that we would need regular reminders of what he did and what we got because of what he did what he did and what has been credited to our account because of what he did. What you have got in your account? Christians, many, many, many Christians are like billionaires who think they got 37 cents in their account. Did you hear what I said? We have a treasure in earthen vessels that we don't even realize we've got. We've got deposited into our account by God Almighty. And done legally through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Everything that you could ever need for life and for godly living in your account. The problem is, so, uh, infrequently, we actually live like it. We live more like we don't got it than we do got it. Like it's almost too good to be true. You know, I was studying the word gospel not that long ago, and, and, and of course we know that the word gospel means good news, but there was a little hint in my, that I saw in my study, and I, I wish I wrote down the source, because it was a, a re- real great nugget. But but good news to the point where that it just seems too good to be true. Not just the fact that the gospel is good news, but that it's so good that it seems too good to be true. But I want you to know today, yeah, it might seem like it's too good to be true, but oh, it's true. And all the things God said about you are true. All the things God's put in you, they're in there. And if we just believe it and act like it, oh, yeah, that's when the change comes on. When we believe it and act like it rather than keep on living like a a mouse when God's called you a lion. Somebody help me today. Glory to God. So give thanks. Why? Why? Because you're giving thanks. You're giving thanks. You're Eucharisting, if I can make a verb out of that. Because you got some charis. You got some grace. You got some favor. So you are giving thanks because you've been given something to give thanks for. If you can't give thanks for anything in the world, you can certainly give thanks for God's grace and favor in your life. Hallelujah. Let's look at another one of these big words that have to do with the Lord's table. The word blessing. We'll go back to 1 Corinthians 10. The word we looked at, the verse we looked at in the beginning. The cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? What's going on with this cup of blessing? Well, I want to show you another verse in the New Testament where the same Greek word, it's not the same English word, but it's the same Greek word for blessing is used. So you can get a little idea of what kind of blessings in the cup. This is 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this verse? But this I say, he which sows sparingly shall weep also sparingly. And he which sows bountifully shall weep also bountifully. Guess what? See that word bountifully? That is the same word as blessing in that other verse we just read. So when we read, now, now follow me here. The the cup of blessing. The, the cup of Bountifully. Oh, somebody's gonna get this before midnight tonight. I'm trying to tell you that God has not been cheap with you. God has not been stingy with you. The, the blessing that's in the cup when you've got faith in the blood that is represented by that cup. Let me tell you, that's not, that's not cheap. That's not flimsy. We're not talking about cubic zirconia. We're talking about diamonds, y'all. And that word bountifully is the same word. Imagine that. Bountiful blessing is in the cup. Abundant blessing is in the cup. Like Pastor John says, God's not up in heaven with the eyedropper trying to go go ahead and give you just enough. Yeah, We'll go just a little squeeze, a little tiny squeeze out of the eyedropper and that's all you're going to get. Somebody needs to realize God is not like that. God is a bountiful God. God is a, a, a lavishing God. Even the way he gives you wisdom. James 1, five. when you ask God for wisdom, it says that he will give it to you liberally. He's generous. He's not cheap. His name is not El Chipo It's El Shaddai. Yeah. <laughs> Glory to God. Understand this, that when it comes to the cup of blessing, that there is no part of your redemption that is not in that cup. There's nothing mystical and mysterious about the cup. There's nothing mystical and mysterious about the juice that's in the cup. But when you understand that you're partaking of something that is a a representation, a symbol to you of the real thing, that the blood of of the spotless lamb of God was shed for you. And that you have been redeemed, bought back by that very same blood. And therefore, everything that that blood has purchased is yours. Everything, every blessing for your spirit, for your soul, for your mind, for your body, for your wallet, Every blessing that could possibly be available to mankind, it's all been provided one way because the spotless lamb of God shed his blood to get it to you. And I want you to know whatever you need, it's in the cup of blessing. Whatever kind of blessing you need, it's in the cup of blessing. There is no blessing that you could ever need or even want that's not included in the cup of blessing. Somebody say, it's like Pago. It's in there. Lord have mercy. Hallelujah. Let's talk about another one of these big words surrounding the Lord's table. We talked about communion. We talked about giving thanks. We talked about blessing. Now I want to talk about remembrance. Someone say remembrance. Over in 1 Corinthians 11. We read it before. so Some of these things we're reading multiple times because they applied to uh, multiple of the uh, words that we're talking about here. First Corinthians 11, 24 and 25 says, When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take heat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus at the last supper. Luke 22, verse 19. We see that same word again. Of course, Paul's quoting just what Jesus said anyway. But Luke twenty-two nineteen, he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want you to get something here. We're going to read a little bit more here to, to get this significance of the remembrance factor and how big that is in regard to the Lord's table. Exodus 12, verse 14. talking about the day of Passover and that's where Passover was instituted by the Lord as the Israelites were preparing to depart out of Egypt Exodus 12:14 says so this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance later in that same chapter Verse 24 to 27 uh, of Exodus 12, it says, And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. What's this talking about? This is talking about Passover. What's Passover? Let me tell you what happened that day before we keep on reading. The death angel was about to come through. And this was going to be the last of 10 plagues that hit Egypt. And as that death angel was going to come through... God had a plan. God had a plan. And you know what? He didn't just come up with a plan. God don't just think of something. We need to understand the way God works. He just knew it all along. Hallelujah. So the plan of God was that the Israelites were to slay an innocent lamb. And to take the blood of that lamb and to put it on the the left or right side of the door. And on the post above the door. So that, that door is surrounded with blood. And the scripture says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. Hey, yeah. You see the word Passover? Because death was going to pass over anywhere where there was blood on the door. Now death would visit where there was not blood on the door. But where there was blood on the door... Death wasn't coming there. Death would pass over. The death angel would pass over. And that's exactly what happened. The people of Israel who obeyed the voice of the Lord and put the blood of that innocent lamb on their doorposts, death did not come to their house. The Egyptians who did not, were not in covenant with God and did not follow this instruction, the firstborn of every one of those houses was struck by the death angel. Now, let's keep reading. Back to Exodus 12. That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So we, we see that as, as the root of the, the Hebrew feast known as Passover. But now I want you to get some light into what that means to us here today. 1 Corinthians 5. And we're going to start with verse 7. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7. It says, purge out therefore the, the old leaven. That you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Someone say Christ, our Passover. Next verse. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Yeah, we're keeping the feast. We're not keeping it like some other people have kept it. We're, we're not keeping it uh, with, with, with old leaven or the leaven of malice and wickedness. We're, we're not keeping it with, with uh, uh, wrong motives, but but proper and pure motives, sincerity and truth. And who is our Passover? christ is our passover i want you to know that you as a believer blood washed and blood bought you know you can go ahead and act this out and 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 declare your faith in the blood in whatever area of life you need to do so your sins are washed away by the blood of jesus hallelujah but i tell you what, you can go to the doors of your house and you say, I got blood on my doors. And just like death had to pass over their houses, death has to pass over my house too. I got blood on my doors so there's protection in my house. I got blood on my doors so, so that any of the plans of the enemy will not succeed around here. Only the plans of the Lord will succeed. Glory be to God. Christ is our Passover. I said Christ is our Passover. And so in the same way, you saw the wording in Exodus 12 about how important it was that that this was an eternal ordinance, that this was to be remembered forever, looked back to forever, practiced forever. Well, isn't it interesting That the next thing we see is a reference to the frequency that we ought to partake of this meal. How often should we celebrate Christ, our Passover? How often should we remember what he did following the precedent that was set by the Lord in the original Passover feast? The, The type which was fulfilled in the actual reality of Jesus coming. First Corinthians 11, back there once again. Verse 25 and 26, take a look at this. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So verse 25 and verse 26, as often as you do it. As often as you do it. Somebody say often. often. And then it says you do show or proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is something that should be done not infrequently. This, what I'm talking about, is the celebration of the Lord's table. Should not be infrequent. It should be frequent. It should not be, well, here and there and uh, yeah, here and there. and uh, You know, without importance and without priority given to it. No, it should be done often. Not as infrequent as you do it, but as often as you do it. I believe that one little word in the Bible is not there by accident. I don't believe it's a little word. As a matter of fact, I believe it's a big word. And I think one thing that we as a church, and and you know what? I, I really, really felt the Holy Ghost in me today to say this. You don't need a pastor to officiate a communion service for you. I want you to realize that right there in your home, if you need a reminder, you can go ahead and have yourself a reminder. Gather. If you're there by yourself, you can do it by yourself. You can gather the family around and say, family, we need to remember some things. We need to remember the Redeemer and what he did to redeem us and rejoice in what we got because we are redeemed. We've let some things slip. We've forgotten some things. We've got so caught up in life and the busyness of life and the frustrations of life that we forgot who we were, whose we are, and what we've got. And so we're going to go in and have us a little reminder right here. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. Pastor John's out there. Pastor Ray's out there. Pastor Mike's out there. Pastor Kurt's out there. No, it's Pastor you there. Can somebody be set free to realize that you right there in your own personal life and in your own home can go ahead and honor the Lord and honor his table. And if you do it every day, every day is not too much. Because it's all about never letting it go, never letting it slip, never ever forgetting, but keeping this in eternal remembrance. Whoa. Acts 2, 41 to 42. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Next verse. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And breaking of bread and prayers continued steadfastly. Sounds like as often as you do it. (laughs) Right there in the same chapter. Chapter 2 verse 46 says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. When they were breaking bread Look at that. They were continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. There's the connotation that this breaking of bread, that this, that this celebrating the feast was not some infrequent exercise, but something that was done on a regular basis. Go to Acts 20 and verse 7, right in the very first part of the verse, Acts 20 and verse 7. And it says, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. There was a regular routine to this. And in our context, we've decided to celebrate once a month the Lord's table. But here we see the disciples who had a habit of coming together on the first day of the week to break bread. They did it every Sunday and there's nothing wrong with that. But we, we see the, the, the examples in scripture of the frequency in which the breaking of bread took place. Now, back to 1 Corinthians 11. We spent a lot of time there, but we'll go back there one more time. And this is verse 26. Now, this here is, is, is the old King James. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, there's one word that's different between here and the new King James. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Now that word show is, uh, in the New King James Bible, the word proclaim. So either you do show the Lord's death till he come, or you do proclaim the Lord's death till he come. So as we've looked at these big words, that word show there, which is also the word proclaim, it's a Greek word that in most other places it's used means to preach. Did you realize that there's a sermon to be preached today? And I'm not talking about the one I'm preaching right now. I'm talking about the fact that when we are commemorating the Lord's table together, that we are actually showing the Lord's death proclaiming the Lord's death, that actually what we're doing is an illustrated sermon. Mm -mm -mm. This is our way of preaching it to ourselves, preaching it to those around us, letting it, as Pastor John has taught, uh, taught us, that God would do things in a certain way to get it into our senses, because that's how much he wants us to get it. That the Lord would institute such a thing as the Lord's table, where we can commemorate what he did, remember what he did, where we can understand that that by faith that we are partaking of his body, that by faith we are partaking of his blood and therefore receiving all the benefits of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ into us. And that by so doing, we're showing something, we're demonstrating something, we're proclaiming something. You thought you'd never preached a sermon before, but if you've partaken of the Lord's table, I tell you what, you got involved in the greatest illustrated sermon ever known to mankind. But the question is, did you get the point of, the own, of your own sermon? Did you even realize how significant it was? Or is that it's Christian tradition? It's tradition in the Christian church. Yeah. We don't need more tradition. We don't need more tradition mindedness. But but Pastor Ray, if you get used to doing something all the time, and and you just do it all the time, all the time, can it become mundane? Can it become tradition? Well, it it, it could if you let it, but if you let it, you ain't doing it right. Because you see, when we do this right, we don't get less excited about it, we get more excited about it. When we do this right with the right heart, with the right frame of mind, we're not putting ourselves in a position where we get less excited about the meaning of the sacrifice of what Jesus did. You get more excited than ever before about it. Let me give you something before we go. I wasn't planning on this. I had preached this before and uh, just uh, having a brief conversation with Pastor John this morning, he mentioned this and I got excited, so... I want to share this with you before we go today, real quickly. In First Corinthians eleven, part of what the Scripture talks about is that there is a, a problem when we do not partake of the Lord's table in the proper manner, with the right heart, with the right spirit, and and, and that uh, when 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 we're not in a worthy manner partaking of the Lord's table, the Bible says that we're eating and drinking judgment to ourselves. And then you've got this verse in the New Testament that is really unlike about any other verse in the New Testament because it identifies the cause for premature death and sickness. It says, for this cause, the cause of not partaking of the Lord's table in a worthy manner. Now, how can you be worthy? The only thing that makes any of us worthy is the blood. I mean, so, so we're not talking about you attaining some kind of sainthood status or something to make you worthy. But we're talking about the heart and, and the appreciation with which you come. How do, your, your understanding of this, you're, you're not treating this as though it's some humdrum thing, but treating it as holy as it really is. And, and, and so, uh, if, if you're, uh, By not treating this as holy and not having the appreciation that we ought to have and the esteem we ought to have for the body and blood of the Lord Jesus, if by so doing you could drink judgment to yourself, isn't the reverse true that if you do it right? And if you do have the proper esteem and appreciation for the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the body of Christ in, in the broader uh, context of understanding that, yeah, we as believers are the body of Christ. And so if I'm going to go ahead and esteem the body of Christ properly, the body of Christ is not just the broken physical body of Jesus. The body of Christ is my brothers and my sisters. And if I'm going to have a problem with my brothers, and my sisters then I got a problem with the body and so therefore if we're right in our appreciation and esteem for what the Lord's done for us and his broken body and shed blood and if we're right in our appreciation and esteem for one another as being the body of Christ If doing it wrong would cause you to bring judgment into yourself, what would doing it right do? (laughs) It'd bring you mercy and life, hallelujah. If doing it wrong could result in, in premature death and being sick and weak, what would doing it right do? Rather than dying prematurely, you live a long, healthy life. Rather than being sick and weak, you'll be strong and healthy. If it's true one way for doing it the wrong way, then the reverse is true as well. That's what I want to tell you today. So when we come and appreciate and esteem properly the Lord's body and blood and what he's done, then rather than getting the curse You get the curse in reverse. Hallelujah. Come on, praise him today. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we honor you and give you glory. We thank you for what Jesus has done. We're so excited about it. and We thank you, Father, for the truth that is dawning in our hearts. In a fresh way, in a fresh way like never before, that we would have such an appreciation for you and what you've done to redeem us and to save us in Jesus name.